We recorded episode 112 of the Audio Guide to Babylon 5, Sleeping in Light, on July 29th, 2018, almost a month before release. The following week, my mother Kay celebrated her 50th wedding anniversary with my father. One week later, we lost her to cancer. I'm grateful Shannon, Erica, Stephen, and I watched and talked about Sleeping in Light before then. The episode might have been too much to bear. What I always knew about Mom was her sense of a duty to serve, much like the Lynn. That was what I focused on. What it took other people to remind me, after she was gone, was how much joy and optimism she showed as she served others. And as we were going through pictures for the visitation service, I was also reminded that she had a really great smile, also like Delin. Mom would never have been the sort of person to lead a fleet of Minbari ships, as in Severed Dreams. The analogy isn't anywhere near to perfect. But if one of the themes of Babylon 5 is our obligation to serve others, and if that's something that resonated deeply with me over the years... It's because my mother taught me everything I thought I knew about service and the things I was too close to see about finding joy and optimism in service are things that her friends are teaching me now. This episode of the Audio Guide to Babylon 5 is dedicated to Kay Sutterth, an absent friend in memory still bright. This is Chip in Durham, Erica in Edmonton, and Shannon in Durham. And welcome to the last regular episode of the Audio Guide to Babylon 5, Episode 112, Sleeping in Light. The moment has been prepared for, for about five years. Hi everybody and welcome to the Audio Guide to Babylon 5. Shannon and Erica, we did it. We wow. did it. I, I'm just, I'm gobsmacked. It, the, the weird thing about doing a finite podcast, a podcast that has a defined end, although there are going to be some appendices along the way, and we'll talk about that later, is that it sort of takes you by surprise when you finally get to the point where you're almost there. Uh, I can only imagine how much the cast and crew of Babylon 5 felt when they came to the end of their five-year run, which was not actually this episode, but <laughs> we'll talk about that in a bit. But um, yeah, a five-year story with a beginning, middle, and an end, and we have come to the end of Babylon 5. It's so <sighs> bittersweet, you guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's the best word for it. Yeah, we'll have more to talk. We'll have more to say about the podcast uh, towards the end before we go to spoiler space. And yes, there's actually going to be spoiler space this time. What? We'll explain in a bit. <laughs> but first, joining us on this journey has been a hapless soul who <laughs> was encouraged to join his spouse in exploring experiencing Babylon 5 for the very first time. He was as close to a tabula rasa as you could possibly get. He 
picked up on a couple of things in the pop culture radar here and there, but he experienced Babylon 5 pretty much clean from start to finish, so we absolutely had to end the regular run of the Audio Guide to Babylon 5 with our control group joining us one last time, Stephen Shapansky. Hi, Stephen. Hi there. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, I'm, I, I, listen, I made it here uh, after what? How many years did we take to do this podcast? I think five. Mm-hmm. Five actual proper calendar years. I think only one thing was spoiled to me in those five years regarding the show. Um, so I take it as a win that I got it uh, as far as I did. Uh, to the end of the show without knowing what was going to happen. Well, you can't just leave that hanging out there. What was the one thing? Uh, a certain previous guest on the show uh, blurted out, uh, basically, well, you know that Claudia Christian leaves after episode, after season four, so okay. But then again, that just tied into my bizarre memory that Tracy Scoggins was the star <laughs> of the show at some point. Um, so uh, that made complete sense to me because I figured that Tracy Scoggins was basically um, Claudia Christian um, stand-in for season five. I vaguely remember being in the room when that happened. No, it was on Skype. Uh, it was on Skype. It was a Skype room when it happened. Yeah, <laughs> ah, but well, uh, no, I didn't. I I, I knew. Uh, I mean, just to recap, before heading into this, I knew there were people talking in hallways. Uh, I knew that uh, people dressed funny. I knew that Delenn uh, had hair. So when she showed up without hair in season one, I thought, "What's going on?" And you spent a whole year trying to uh, keep me away from the fact that I knew already that she had hair in season two onwards. And we made a VHS tape for you. We <laughs> made a VHS yes, we rip. did. Yep. <laughs> the whole time. I knew it was coming. Um, but yeah, and I, Bruce I came in. Com- and Bruce Boxlightner coming in. I knew that he was going to be there at some point too. But apart from that, I was completely clean to the show. So it was a, it was a wonderful experience to be able to, to watch a 20-year-old series over the course of five years and experience it as if I was watching it um, free and clear of any spoilers back in the day. Although I- just to prevent... Just to prevent the pedants, I checked uh, four years. We started this in May 2014. Okay. Yeah, I uh, I will be so much more relaxed at science fiction conventions <laughs> with you now. Like any time in the last four years, any time Babylon 5 has come up in conversation at a science fiction convention, I have steered the conversation away and I don't have to do that anymore. And it's great. <laughs> yep. <laughs> So blinders are off. So we need to talk about this episode. We also need to talk about the series as a whole uh, in, in, in one one grand sweeping thing. And then we'll uh, go into spoiler space. And in that space, which, Stephen, you can join us in for the very first time. Yeah, this is so amazing. I am like, <laughs> like, well, look at that. The sun's coming up. <laughs> I'm in spoiler space. It's amazing. <laughs> Oh, and the reason that we're going to do spoiler space is that we have actually heard from a few listeners who are going through B5 and the B5 spinoff material cold, and they've been watching Babylon 5 along with us. They're going to look at the spinoff material, including the TV series Crusade, and they don't want to know anything about it. So as we go along, Stephen, I'm sure you've got tons and tons of questions about the last five years of television here. Um, if you have any questions that we need to dance around until spoiler space, we'll just sort of put it on a sticky note, put it in the parking lot, and we'll come back to it at the end. Um, 
But let's start off with the episode itself, and then uh, we'll broaden the scope to the last five years. Um, For the last 111 episodes, we have done a What You Need to Know and then an episode recap. And I think both of those would be kind of superfluous now. Um, What You Need to Know, Everything Else. Exactly. Exactly. This is not the episode that I would recommend someone start Babylon 5 with. <laughs> so no. it, it doesn't even say Babylon 5 at the start of it. You don't even know what no, you're they hold, watching. They hold the credits until the end. So cast your minds back to 1997 when this episode was made. Uh, and it was, the cast and crew of Babylon 5 had been told that the primetime entertainment network is folding. Babylon 5 is done wrap it up in four years jms accelerates aspects of the storyline to fit it all into season four and he shoots this episode sleeping in light and he hopes you know they 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 get the news that tnt has picked up the reruns and wants to do a couple of tv movies so they so they finish sleeping in light they do a couple, they work on the TV movies, and meanwhile, they work on a Hail Mary. You know, the show is essentially canceled, but maybe we can get one more with TNT, and surprise, surprise, they get that. JMS holds off on the final edit, the final mix, the final CGI, whatever, just to ensure that this doesn't come out by accident until uh-huh. the end of season five. Um, so... Sleeping in Light would have aired the week after Sheridan and Delenn get married. The White Star Fleet does its overpass over Geneva. <laughs> and Londo and Jakar are sitting back drinking alcohol while Jakar is perving on the Honeymooners. Smash cut one week later and this would have been the episode. Imagine that. Man. <laughs> Instead, what we got was season five, which included uh, uh, what we assumed to have been an expanded uh, telepath arc um, as things were getting shuffled around. A new captain character after uh, Cap- after Claudia Christian left the show. And finally, what I do believe would have been part of the original five-year plan, the fall of Centauri Prime, basically Londo's uh, comeuppance um, in, in, in his his karmic payback for everything he did uh, by allying with the shadows. Um, would sleeping of light, would did sleeping in light work better with five years of show behind it? Would it have worked with four years of show behind it? Yes. And yes, <laughs> I think <laughs> honestly, I think I would have been pleased with it in, in either position. I was, I, I was very pleased with it. It's, it's set so far in the future that uh, it didn't feel weird to me to have the season five stuff in between. And I, I think that it's set far enough that it wouldn't have mattered to me if the season five stuff wasn't there. So yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm, <laughs> it works both ways. Am I am I being am I being too happy go lucky about this? I I don't know about that, um, but for me at least, um, I think there are aspects of it that work better uh, after one or the other. Um, a couple of times I was a bit jarred, um, mainly uh, the Marcus mention uh, when Susan and um, 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Susan and uh, Franklin both, you know, as they make their toast around the table, mentioning people, and then, you know, the two of them, you know, look at each other, and then she says Marcus, and, you know, he's been gone long enough that, um, that for me, that was uh, just a little bit of a reminder of, like, hey, this was filmed much earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, uh, Delin remembering Lanier has a lot more poignancy to it, given that, you know, we have, you know... Um, context for that um and also the idea that the alliance has managed to arrive at such a strong position now um because we get their first year their first struggles with uh with centauri prime uh with all of those issues that nearly tore that alliance apart uh seeing it together again uh after 20 years and building, uh, I think that has a lot more resonance having had season five to see what was going wrong at first. There's also something that I think this episode benefits from having season five ahead of it in the conversation that Sheridan has with Delenn in bed before he goes for his Sunday drive. And we'll, I, I want to sort of put the emotional part of the episode over to the side for the moment. But... um. We've been saying um, at several points, and Liz Miles made this point fairly strongly on one of her appearances on this podcast, that, you know, there's a lot of great man, great politics. All you need is a strong moral person in charge to change the universe kind of stuff going on in um, Babylon 5. It's not as super democratic, maybe, as we'd want it. Even in the at the end, Sheridan is playing real politic. Um, the the method in which he dies is going to have an impact. He wants it to have an impact uh, securing Delin's position for the future as president and stuff like that. And I think that would have been really, really jarring and weird without more of the political stuff that happened in season five behind it. You know, all of this, all of this Machiavellian stuff um, it's not truly Machiavellian, but all of that going on, that's not a conversation that I think I would have print, I would have really followed if we'd gone straight from the honeymoon to the last night together. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's an interesting thought. I feel like maybe I would have been okay with it in part because it's paired with, in this episode, uh, 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 an offhanded sort of line where, where Delenn let's fly that she's actually been the president for the past couple of years because he's you know he's been thinking about it not just now but all along so he clearly stepped down a couple of years before he knew he was going to die to get the rest of the alliance used to delenn being the person in charge instead of him so so i feel like maybe it it wouldn't have carried sort of the same weight and resonance that it does now after we've seen all of this the season five stuff but i think i still would have been fine with it and i don't think i would have found it jarring because because it's paired with that other piece of information that kind of shows me that this this kind of stuff has been happening all along and for years. I think it would have worked. Um, I mean, I like season five, and, and you're right, Chip. I like how the stuff that happens in season five helps sort of inform what we see at the end of this episode, oddly enough, even though it was shot before any of it was, was made. But if 
Sleeping in Light closed out season four, it would have meant that we wouldn't have had to watch Deconstruction of I Fonts was waiting for that. Me too. So... Do you do you cast a whole season of Babylon Five into the uh, the furnace, never to be seen, in order to get rid of one episode you really didn't like that closes out the fourth season? Maybe you do. Maybe you do. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Golly. Well, because honestly, Sleeping in Light feels like like I I you could the great thing is is that I know there's what two more movies there's some novels there's crusade uh i know nothing of crusade apart from the fact that i've seen an image a, a, a promotional image i think probably from the dvd cover or something that's literally the only thing i know about crusade all this anything could come after uh after this but you know that sleeping in light is the end that's the last episode and and uh, deconstruction takes place probably after that even and that that's what kind of like in retrospect that kind of sullies the memory that of of this episode because I feel like this is you know a really good closing final chapter to to a series um, on its own it could be placed anywhere it could there could be 10 more seasons of Babylon 5 and if if this was still the last episode I think it would still fit just think of deconstruction of falling stars as a flash forward we get plenty of flashbacks to things that happened before the series started that's just a flash forward to something afterwards it's fine because it's a flash forward you don't have to watch it again if you don't want to (laughs) (laughs) this is true very true (laughs) this is very true um but since Codas and victory laps can be a bit of a sore point for you sometimes, Stephen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm really curious about what you thought in general about Sleeping in Light. I'm, I'm glad uh, we watched this on Friday night. It seems to be our tradition. We And then mm-hmm. usually recordings happen on, on Saturdays. There's some inside baseball over the last four and a half years of this <laughs> podcast. Uh I'm glad that we had the extra night because I, I think I was a little bit let down by it the first time around just because I, you know, halfway through I realized this, you know, the basic plot line of this episode is Sheridan's going to die, then he dies. And <laughs> that's what happens in the episode. Yeah. <laughs> and it takes 45 minutes to tell it. There were, there was a time where I was thinking, maybe he won't die after all, and it's all going to be a thing. And no, no, he just dies, I guess. Well, he doesn't. He goes off to the Gray Havens, essentially. But um, but, now, <laughs> but now that I've had, I, I've had a chance, I mean, now, I mean, within minutes, possibly to sort of break the mood because it was uh it was it was a it was a a sad living room on on friday night (laughs) when we watched this i thought let's watch some extras for the first time ever um and you know just and and then i watched the episode again with the uh, commentary on with jms who directed this as well and you know hearing the various bits in the van saying you know this is a novel for television i know you've mentioned that on this podcast too but i think once i really sort of realized that yeah this is a novel for television this is the final chapter i mean you know after after watching basically a, a slow fade out over the last 2 weeks we get to this final fade out but i i think it's uh it, it was a it was a good fade out i think you know you it ends with babylon 5 blowing up so i suppose there is a finite end to it after all the fading out but um you know i had the uh, i had the brief impulse to yell spoiler to that but no it's not <laughs> but you no, were, we're done with that <laughs> with yep, Babylon. You don't have to. I, I am. I am. I am safe. I am safe from all your spoilers, Jeff. I've seen it all. 
Um, so no, no, I, I'm glad I, I'm glad I had a chance to reflect on it because I think I like a lot, lot better in, upon reflection than perhaps I, I did while, while watching it. So coming back to it, Shannon and Erica, how, how, how did you feel? I was tearing up before Sheridan Delenn's first um, scene finished. <laughs> yeah, there was there was ugly crying, Chip. There was <laughs> ugly crying. It was. Uh, I mean, this is more inside baseball. We also watched this the same night that I watched uh, season three, episode two of Winona Earp. Which, if you're a Winona Earp fan, you will know why that was a rough episode to watch. So it was. It, I was emotional to start with, and then I was emotional about the end of the series that I love, and I was emotional about the end of this podcast that I love doing. And it was just, yeah, uh, the parts that really got me were the Sheridan Delenn scenes. And every time it would cut back to them, I would just start sobbing again. The other scenes, I was kind of fine um, because it it was sort of, it, you know, you have all of these actors trying to play older versions of their characters, which sometimes worked, sometimes didn't work quite as well. And it was this, you know... Th- trying so hard to be big and to feel like an epic end to an epic series and i think for the most part achieved that but there were little moments where i was just like oh that that delivery was a little over the top but when you had the the, <laughs> the scenes between sheridan and delenn those those were they were perfect well almost perfect her, when she reached her hand out to him as he was walking away, that was maybe a step mm-hmm. too far. But, but other than that, um, I, I was, I was, because that's that's something I can picture. You know, like what the the part that completely broke me and completely, completely just wrecked me um, for the next like two days was uh, <laughs> the scene where he's gone and Delenn flips over in bed and sees the empty side of the bed. And mm-hmm. curls herself around his pillow. And I'm going to cry again because that was just, <laughs> it was too friggin' real, man. It was too yeah. friggin' yeah. real. Yeah, yeah, that one was. Um, yeah, like I said, you know, started tearing up at first. And again, it was almost all of it was um, the Sheridan and Delenn scenes uh, more than anything else. Um, although a few times, you know, when uh, one of the others would sort of let something sort of slip, like I thought um, Delenn and Susan's conversation in yeah, part good. got me as well mm-hmm. uh but i also resonated with me um the day we're recording this chip and i uh spent the morning at raleigh supercon where walter koenig was a guest and mm-hmm. we attended his q a and luckily enough the very first person to step up and ask a question asked a babylon five question <laughs> and yes i pumped the air um <laughs> Because that sort of set a tone for a lot of his questions being about Babylon 5 and about other things he's done besides Star Trek. And you know, our impression is that he enjoyed reminiscing about those things. And he talked briefly about how JMS was constantly, you know, adding things to a character that gave actors yet more good stuff to work with. And even here at the end, I felt like there were things that sort of added more nuances to, you know, these characters that supposedly 20 years have passed. So yes, of course, things have changed. And JMS very economically gets some of that across. We've got Susan is apparently at the moment a general behind a desk and hating it, which, yeah, that makes sense. Total Mm -hmm. sense. Um, You know, Garibaldi is, you know, still kind of his devil may care self, but guess what? He's got a daughter. Um, and he, you know, and Lisa's still in the picture and everything is, he has landed in a good place, whatever else has happened. Um, so we get all of these 
extra bits um, added in, uh, even here at the end. You know, JMS never stops finding new things for his characters, it feels like. He never stops really world building. I mean, mm-hmm. there is, you you get a sense of what's going on with EarthGov. You get a sense of Membari politics and how all that's going. And and the role of the Rangers. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the way the different, you know, planets are reacting to the presence of the Ranger turning up with, with this envelope for somebody. Yeah. Um, so... I want to I want to sort of hold off for a little bit on the share on the John and Delenn stuff just a little bit longer um, and do the easier stuff first. And let's <laughs> check in on the other characters that are part of this story uh, when um, when TV Guide almost completely ignored Babylon 5 during much of its run. And they finally got a cover story and it was it it came out sometime around the move from the primetime entertainment network to TNT. So the, it was a story about the upcoming fifth season and they made a reference to the season finale, the series finale having already been shot and they got nothing from their, uh, from the actors that they interviewed about the content of the series finale, except I do remember Stephen first saying, I do like coming out a winner. (laughs) Yes. So as far as the rest of the cast are concerned, um, you know, Stephen first turns in, I think a great performance, his, uh, his monologue slash soliloquy about Londo and hearing the Pike Marat sing. um, That was, I thought a really good performance uh, by Stephen Mm -hmm. first. And, he had very little to do towards the end of season five, so it was really good to see him back. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Uh, and yeah, just you know the the sudden reveal to people who weren't paying attention or who had forgotten uh, what has been hinted in foreshadows before that you know yes, Vera becomes emperor after Londo. So you know they come into the you know nice appointed Centauri bedroom and you know emperor and. The the person under the covers? No, that's Veer. Surprise. <laughs> Not Londo. Um, so uh, it, it sort of sets a tone of, you know, sort of what, what he's doing here. And then, you know, he, he immediately, you know, sobers. He's going uh, to Mimbar. And like you said, uh, his conversation uh, drifting from, you know, sort of humorous and fun reminisces into this lovely, lovely little bit, uh, again, of world building. You know, because we've seen what the Pakmara are like. We we we've seen how they are regarded throughout this series, and then we get this lovely bit at the end that is um, a character beat for Londo, who is not there. Um, it's this uh, extra bit of world building, uh, and it helps shift the tone around the table um, to talk about you know sort of more important things for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. And you even get like a little bit of it, it sort of caps off Veer's character arc, too, because he started as just the, sort of the bumbling fool who's the sidekick to Londo. And in the end, it, it seems like he sort of ended up as a better version 
of Londo because, you know, he's having a romp with a couple of <laughs> with a couple of Centauri ladies in the bed when we see him at the beginning. And then at the end, um, you know, he's got he's got Zach with him, helping him uh, do whatever kind of paperwork he's doing. And he's he's mm-hmm. trying to get away to go back to the bed, which has a beautiful Centauri lady at it. But but no, no, no he has to go and do some paperwork. So he's kind of like like season one Londo a little bit. But but he's still Veer because we got to see him actually interacting with his friends and, and talking with them. And yeah, it was just it was nice. And I, I agree. It was really good to see him after not getting to see him a lot in season five. Yeah. Now, as you said, uh, we have Garibaldi and Franklin. We have uh, Jerry Doyle and Rick Biggs trying to be older. And doing a better job or not so better job, you know, it sort of depends. But they're still very much the same characters that we knew before. Nothing much has changed for them other than that they have gotten older. Although I did get kind of a, I got the vaguest hint of a Paul Winfield feeling from Rick Biggs in this episode. Yeah, I could see that. Totally. Yep, there was a hint of that. But I felt, honestly, I felt like they were... Uh, of the the non Dylan Sheridan characters, I think theirs was the most natural performance. I thought like they just they felt like themselves, but older, um, and that was that was fine. I, you know, I love Veer and I loved seeing him, but I felt like his soliloquy was a little soliloquy e, <laughs> just a yeah. little a little much. And then Claudia Christian. Yeah, I I guess it's weird because you know I knew this was shot at the end of season four, but like, oh, she's back uh, was my initial reaction right. when I first saw <laughs> right. her. She's a good actress. I really I didn't realize how much I missed her performances until I saw her again. I think in this after not seeing her for a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. I, just, I missed her as as a character because just her sort of you know just straight-faced Russianness, just like her dour mm-hmm. sort of matter-of-fact, yeah. I will bite your head off if I feel like it's necessary attitude. Just, I love it, and I feel like that was... I, I'm glad that they did not make uh, Captain Lockley that same type of character, because that would have just been very uncomfortable, but I, mm-hmm. that sort of left a, a hole there, because I, I didn't have that anymore, so it was it, would, it felt like, you know, going home again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess that's one of the very few downsides uh, to having to place this after season five, um, because it's been a while since I've seen this episode, and I don't remember feeling this uh, the last time I watched it, whenever that was. But I did feel the tiniest bit of, you know, of course, it's not possible because of the order they shot it in. But, you know, yeah, I would like at least a nod to what where did Lockley wind up? You know, it, it felt to me this time, having just come off of season five, that Lockley should have gotten one of those invitations if she was around. But, you know, that's not how it was shot. It was shot with the idea that the cast of season four, everything being wrapped up. So, yes, we have Claudia Christian back. And, you know, that was excellent. That felt good. It felt um, right uh, overall to have her there. Um, again, because of this flip flop having her take over as ranger one had me scratching my head just for a second even though i I remembered that that happened and that was a thing um not that i can think of who else they would have asked but Mm -hmm. you know just like i said what as as things petered out this is one of the few things that felt the tiniest bit off balance to me but it was tiny 
I never got that impression myself, you know, with her relationship with Marcus and just like looking for a change, not wanting to be bound behind a desk, um, you know, with uh, a Hugo Award sitting there. Um, <laughs> it, I, I could totally see her sort of like, uh, you know, she needs to get out there, you know, for for four years, they tried to find a, a place for her on the show from like, you know, base commander to news anchor to uh, mediator. Uh, and so finally, at the, at the end of it all, she finally gets sort of like a, a an actual purpose in life that she, she seems to like uh, she wants to actually take control of. Yeah, I will second everything uh, Erica said about the and, and you did, Stephen, about the effectiveness of Claudia Christian's performance in this episode. Um, the tears feel genuine. Um, the 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 personality that you know this is this is the the Ivanova we knew from seasons one through four, but she's been through more. She's been worn down a bit, uh, and you know I almost feel like that that year of absence from the show makes it all the more powerful when we see her again. So. Then we come to the reason that this episode exists. This episode is about saying goodbye to the lead character and the lead character who loved him. And um, that's where all of the pathos happens. And this is where um, all the feels happens. And we've already talked about uh, at least two of the four of us were... uh, were crying or ugly crying um i will put myself in the close to crying category um the episode is all about loss and it is all about the 20 year time limit that uh, sheridan was given at the beginning of season four uh coming due and people making do with that too much pathos schmaltzy effective realistic um how did it how how genuine did this episode feel steven i want to hear what you think because we did we have not talked about this i i I am learning what what steven thinks about this episode as we as we go on this podcast so lay it on me baby no pressure steven how genuine did this episode feel i i think it's it it's odd because um i wonder if steven moffat actually watched this episode back whenever it aired 98 99 and because some of like the whole setup of it is very similar to the beginning of series 6 where the doc it turns out the doctor is the one who sends out all these envelopes to his friends to gather in a meeting place knowing that he's going to die at that meeting place and they have they have things to do at that point and everyone gets envelopes blue tardis envelopes and that's exactly what happens here so in a way i was kind of thinking oh this is kind of like that but it was a much less madcap kind of way of doing things it was very somber um it never stopped being somber (laughs) despite their best intentions of having like you know jokes around the uh, the table with garibaldi and sheridan and stuff but um uh and erica pointed out that there were some schmaltzy moments it's what about delenn and sheridan in particular delenn and sheridan in particular well delenn is always kind of melodramatic she's minbari she's minbari exactly (laughs) and so i have to say that i was like oh i hope this doesn't get too 
Minbari on us, uh, and it kind of did a little bit. And, <laughs> you know, when when they finally touched the hug there, I thought you know the big string chorus is going to come up, and it, it was it was touching and emotional and everything, but it was perhaps a I, little bit too far. I will admit that there was one moment of wide-eyed acting uh, on behalf of on behalf of Mira Furlan, and and after like one particular shot uh, was maybe a little a little bit too much, but after that, it was back to being just perfect for me. But yeah. I can yeah. understand. I can understand. Yeah. But yeah, for but- me personally, it worked overall. Um, I can think of just like, you know, one or two things that um, that tip that sort of tipped it for me. Um, you mentioned already, Erica, when you know, when he's about to walk away and she raises her hand after him. And the fact that he doesn't look back, I understand why he doesn't look mm-hmm. back. Um, but the fact that he does not do so um, really, really cut me this time. Yeah. There's almost sort of a a man's got to do what a man's got to do kind of feel to this episode. Um, mm-hmm. Very very high noon in a way, isn't it? Yeah, because Sheridan, Andolin, and everybody else around have known this is coming. Um, it is it, it is a very odd thing. It does not happen odd. It does not happen very often in uh, real life that you know that you have a date certain um even a date certain 20 years ahead uh you know you make schedules for induced labor at a to to to, to, in a pregnancy um there's the character of timison in that star trek the next generation episode where the planet the planet where people um um have to perform commit suicide at 60 years yeah yeah Yeah. that that, uh, uh, yeah this is this is an unusual situation in that um everybody has been making their own preparations for the time when sheridan is going to die and everything that sheridan does during that is very much very much western hero uh i think your high noon reference is spot on there Stephen. in that as emotional as he is with delin and sentimentality does work its way in to some of their scenes um as they both go through the grief that this inevitable thing that they've prepared for as well as they can as delin puts it is finally coming He's kind of methodical about it. He's kind of, well, got to send David off for ranger training. Nothing special. I want him to remember me as he was. I'm just going to leave. I don't want to have any, um, I don't want to have uh, any protracted farewells with the Garibaldi and Franklin and all that stuff. Um, I'm going to walk away without turning back from Delenn because if I do turn, we're just going to have that much more difficulty parting again. Um, it's, it's powerful to me and it makes sense to me and, and, uh, it's, it's emotional for me. And yet there's also a bit of that. I'm a great, I'm a great man. It's the mythology of Sheridan. And those were some of the parts of Babylon five that I had the most trouble with turning our characters into mythological figures. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he is, as you mentioned before, he's thinking about his own mythology and mm-hmm. actually talking about it. I, I found that uses, kind of uses interesting. the very words in this episode. Yep. 
I found that kind of interesting and meta a little bit that that <laughs> he recognizes it. He recognizes it just the way that we recognize it. And he is he, he's leaning into it for the benefit of the people who are going to be there, uh, who are who are left behind, uh, which was kind of kind of fascinating. So it sort of makes it fit that sort of, you know, I'm I'm the big damn hero. I'm going to walk away on my own. Uh, and I I really found it interesting, sort of just the contrast between it's it's very sad to say goodbye to your friends but but it's sad in a different way than it is to say goodbye to your partner so you had you know all of his friends were there and they were celebrating and they were able to smile and laugh and stuff but they were also very sad and like you you know you see their faces when they when they get the the letters the cards in the first place so it's you know there were some wonderful feels in that side of the story but as you said his Sheridan's demeanor in comparison when it's just him and Delenn. Like, it, it's kind of an interesting illustration of the difference of saying goodbye to somebody who you care about, but who isn't directly in your life all the time. Like, all of these people had to travel pretty far to get to Minbar. They haven't been hanging out all the time. Whereas with Delenn and Sheridan, they have been together sharing, you know, all, probably almost every single day of their life for these last 20 years. And the process of saying goodbye to somebody who is that close and that, you know, woven into the fabric of your of your every day is a, is a completely different sort of thing. So I appreciated that, that we got at least a little bit more, um, a little bit more of him emoting about it. And, you know, I, I have always loved Sheridan's cornball stories about his dad and we got another <laughs> one here and it just made me so gosh darn happy um, because that was, that just, just felt like his way of, of sharing, you know, one more, one more thing with, Sher- with the land. I mean, maybe he had told her that story many times over the years, who knows, but it just, that was, that was a very lovely moment for me and and a way of for for him to just sort of put it uh, you know every time he talks about his dad that's one of the the things that he he clearly had such a special and deep relationship with his father and and so going back to that well again to to sort of have him emote in that way in this episode i think was really effective for me and and yeah i agree that like the 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 holding yourself back a little bit was you know it's for the benefit of your partner (laughs) because you know yeah he doesn't want his son to remember him as whatever he wants him to remember him as just being you know regular old dad and to some extent i don't think he wanted to leave delenn with the the memory of him turning to look back at her uh because (laughs) you know that would show Maybe just a little bit of of fear, and he wants her to think that he's going off with his eyes wide open to do something. Because that's like you know, if I was in her place, I would I would honestly prefer that he not look back then, because mm-hmm. I would just want to think of him going off to do his thing and being okay with it, so that I could also be okay with yeah. it. And going back a bit to um, him regaling her with yet another tale of dad, and this is another key element. Um, Delenn tends to pick up on those things and remember them and bring them back mm-hmm. at times. You know, she shows that she remembers. She finishes his quote, you know, dad told me never to start a fight, but always finish <laughs> it a couple episodes ago. Um, and she does it again. Um, she is there to meet him before he goes. Um, she is dressed gorgeously. Mm-hmm. You all dress up on Sundays. She's almost dressed bridally you know i know it's yes. more of a contrast of him in black and her in white past and future but you know still death the fact and that, life 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. But she picks up um, these things and applies them uh, right back to him. Um, So and they managed to get that in there as well. Just on the topic of the mythology and how much Sheridan, you know, cares about his established mythology, what does he do? He After he leaves, he goes back to Babylon 5 and stands on the deck and then re- remembers, reminisces about the moment when essentially the Sheridan legend began when he returned from the dead at uh, Khazad-dum and, and rallied the troops <laughs> on Babylon 5, you know? Like, he is fully aware of what of how important he is, or at least how important he thinks he is in the lives of others like that. So I think there's, you know, and then he goes off to die alone. Uh, you know, he's, he's sort of like, he's arranging his own hero's death, essentially, um, uh, because that's kind of what the mythology uh, dictates. You know, he, he doesn't, he's not sort of collapsing in a hallway somewhere. He's going out to... Uh, um, what planet did he go to, by the way? Uh, was it Khazad Doom that he went to, or <laughs> no? That's Coriana Six. Coriana Six. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, he just like the, just the very manner of his death, I think, was was very much in, in keeping. And it's with Zaha Doom. Khazad Doom. I know it was inspired by Khazad Doom. Yes, I it haven't was. looked. At, yes, yes, it I was. <laughs> yes. Sorry. <laughs> it's fine. Um. It's a hard bit of television um, in some ways. If you're dealing with loss, to have the loss portrayed for you right there, I don't know how cathartic it might be or just more painful. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's about saying goodbye to the show as much as it is saying goodbye to Sheridan. Um, and But it does end in a bit of the life goes on note of hope kind of thing um the characters going back to their lives um franklin Mm -hmm. saving lives garibaldi checking in on his kid ivanova taking the new job and putting on uh, the ranger one cloak for the first time delin watching the sun rise um as a coda for babylon 5 how does it work I think it's pretty great. Yep, but yeah. like you just you get to see that that life does go on and that all of these characters continue. And I think for me that's that's important. Yeah, and I think it's especially um well placed uh coming after we see the station itself uh be scuttled, uh decommissioned, mm-hmm. blown up so that it is not in the way anymore. Uh which was, um, for anybody who didn't realize, that was uh, J. Michael Straczynski himself who flipped the switches that turned the lights out. <laughs> uh, so, yes, he, he got to do that himself. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, um, as, as you said, the, the, the idea of life goes on, uh, being especially uh, echoed in, uh, in seeing the other characters go back to what uh, either, in some cases, go back to what they were doing and in Ivanova's case, going on to the next thing. Uh, one last side note that I want to make. Isn't it just utterly and painfully fitting that Zach's the only one who didn't get the letter and doesn't know what's going on? <laughs> oh, yes. Clueless to the end. Mm-hmm. Yep. Good Bless his but heart. Then, but then he goes on to get a job on Centauri Prime or something. Um, yeah. He's there for some reason. <laughs> yep. That was yeah. cool. Yeah. Chip, I wanted to know how you felt about all of Babylon 5 ending with a voiceover from Ivanova. 
I thought it was perfect. Um, awesome. I, I, Claudia Christian should have been playing the captain of Babylon Five in the fifth season. As it is, the Ivanova character is repeatedly a character who is broken and gets back up again and goes on. Um, bad things happen to her in season one, in season two. And the at the end of season four, um, you know, and she would have had a she would have had the relationship arc with Byron in season five if she continued with it. And she just keeps going. She suffers, but perseveres. And that just lines up perfectly with the life goes on. um, We continue kind of message at the end of this at the end of this story. Yep. I also appreciated the very small touch um, at the the ceremony to say goodbye to Babylon 5, the station itself. You know, mm-hmm. we see all of the, the characters who who are there, you know, Sheridan has, has gone. But uh, everybody, you know, slowly, one by one, they all leave. And it's like first one in, last one out, because Garibaldi is the last one to have his yes. feet on the deck. And I yeah. thought that was very sweet and poetic. And he takes a shot glass as a memento of uh, yes. You know, that he's, <laughs> mm-hmm. he's 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 uh, he's dry once again. But this is the time when he wasn't when he was on the ship, yeah, the space station. Uh, yeah. I also appreciate the um, brief shot of the outside of the different uh, ships from all of these uh, various races that have come. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, they're witnessing. Because, I mean, really, when you think about it, in the grand scheme of things, it's been 25 years that, that Babylon 5-ish, you know, that was it was in in use. That's not really that long. I mean, I think about, you know, like baseball stadiums and hockey rinks and stuff that last for so much longer than that. And this is this giant place out in the middle of space where so many people live their entire lives. And, you know, in, in basically a blink, it's it's not useful anymore. And it's a hazard. And now it's gone. And it's just that it was that was a little bit sobering. Yeah. yeah. I, this time around, I was especially caught uh, by the casting of the current commander. Uh, compared to the ones that we have seen from Sinclair to Sheridan to Lockley to have this, you know, poor, you know, essentially pencil pusher type uh, wrapping things up. Um, just mm-hmm. yeah, it, it fit very well with the, with the tone that uh, JMS was trying to establish of that Babylon 5 is no longer relevant, no longer useful. Uh, it's time to take it um, to take it off the table. Babylon 5 is done. Which it's not completely, but we'll get to that <laughs> um, because there's 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 lots more material to get to. Uh, before we get to that, though, it's time to talk about Babylon Five, the series, and once more, I think it'd be it's the most appropriate thing to turn things over to the guy who saw it for the first time with us. Um, Stephen, how do you assess five five years of television on? How do you assess this piece of '90s sci-fi? I think you have to assess it as like anything you know, science fiction related. You have to assess it as a product of its time because it's you know whatever you make is always a vision of the future made from whatever point in time you're making it. Um, and I've probably said this on the podcast before, so I apologize if I'm repeating myself now. But and it's been said often that it is definitely a vanguard in making serialized 
multi-season arc television, which was not the thing to do back in those days <laughs> and is the way to do things now. Um, the way to do things now, though, is, of course, to sort of have eight, 10, 13 episode seasons and sort of cutting out the waffle and sort of like not having to worry about just churning out an episode every single week, but making 13 episodes that tell your story. Um, whereas Babylon 5, of course, is made in the 22 episode uh, per season universe, which means it's tough to uh, sort of achieve a momentum, I think, to make a a long standing novel like so you have all these diversions like TKO and uh <laughs> and um the, the Schindler's <laughs> list comedy episode and the other ones you know that maybe oh, not were not that good um but it's it's it, it you know it's it's cheaper by their own admission they didn't have they weren't like you know, Warner Brothers didn't necessarily take them under the wing here, use the Warner back lot, uh, use all of our facilities. No, no, they sent them to like what I think was a an ex-hot tub factory up in North Hollywood where they were basically, basically sequestered and they made this series uh, yep. on, on little to no money comparatively to like to Star Trek. But, you know, so they had to sort of improvise and do do a lot more with computer effects, which I thought were, were was bold because I think they definitely improved that as technology improved over the course of the five years. Um, and perhaps the sets, they, they they didn't spend a lot, and they certainly did no location filming over the course of the five years. But I tell you where they supremely exceed. It's the... It helps with the world building of the of JMS, but also just the creature design of all the non-human species on this were superb I, I watched an extra and i can't remember the name of the, the guy who designed them but he was like adamant that they weren't just going to he didn't name the series but stick something on their foreheads <laughs> and cause them and, and have them be a, a new species you know like um uh, the <laughs> after four years i'm still getting the names mixed up um <laughs> the narn you know like uh, like um Jakar's makeup is amazing and then when they make like 20 more and they're all slightly different because they're not just sort of stock pieces and like they're the whole head and the costume and everything I mean they there were realistic non-human species on that space station and that kind of made the the mind just you know wonder about about how vast and expansive this this universe was and how interesting it was to see um, characters playing it so yeah it was a it was a notable experiment uh, at a time when and you know when they didn't even have a home you know they didn't necessarily get canceled because no one watched it because the network they were on failed and so it was always kind of this like fighting an uphill battle against the forces that be and uh, and so it, it it should be admired and appreciated for that but did you like it <laughs> I did. I did. But I also, I mean, the reason I liked, I like to, um, you know, dig so much into the making of series because back to my earlier point where I think you have to look at things uh, coming, you know, uh, how, how, when it was made, you know, because it's, it's a, it's a timestamp basically. And I appreciate it. And I like it because if, if I would just sort of watch it and go, oh, this isn't as good as Star Trek Deep Space Nine or something like that, I would have been kind of like cheating myself and not appreciating the, the circumstances that, that actually happened. But yes, I did like the show. Um, uh, I think, I don't think there were as many highs as 
I was hoping, but there were certainly not as many lows either. You know what I as mean? As you feared. I think there yeah, I might I might have feared a little bit. I was thinking, oh no, I think it'd be some bad like there's some really bad ropey bits and stuff like that. But I no, I think there was some really great stuff that that was happening here. Um and and you know, and, and so yeah, I I did like it and I enjoyed the ride and it was it was fun to watch and and I think perhaps the fifth season was you know, a reprieve and despite JMS saying, yeah, we, you know, the last episode is essentially the, the, what he thought of even before they shot the pilot. That's what, how the series is going to end. But I don't think the fifth season kind of uh, was the way they were meant to get there. It was kind of a reprieve a little bit. And so I think, I think it ended a little bit more anticlimactically than I was hoping. And that, that kind of disappointed me. And I haven't watched any of the episodes again since, um, but I think the, the seasons two, three, and four, I think, were were really strong, and uh, and some of the events uh, that happened in there were, were some some really good um, TV storytelling. So, Erica and Shannon, we came into this because we love the show. We watched it really, really closely. It was the first rewatch in a while for me and Shannon. Uh, I think you'd had at least one rewatch in between um, more than more than mm-hmm. we had, Erica. But yeah, um, but we'd never. Wa- none of us had ever watched B five this closely, this intently, and trying to pick at the threads and actually really engage with the show when when it was when it was problematic and when it was thought provoking where do you two stand on babylon 5 at the end of the main part of this podcast wow that's a that's a big question i mean i still i still love it and i feel like you know anytime you really dig into something that like Babylon 5 was my comfort food for a while you know it was on at a time when my favorite favorite show since I was four years old Doctor Who was was not around and it became you know sort of my world and my life for for a good chunk of time and you know when you have something like that that's just like you know your security blanket then when you take that security blanket and you you know hang it out in the sun and you look at it very closely and (laughs) you know it's it it changes the way that you see it and the way that it it feels for you so i appreciate it every bit as more as much if not more than i did before but I, i feel like i love it now in in a significantly different way so i i'm it it's not quite the uh, the, the the perfect shining beacon of, of of hope and victory and all of that stuff that it was before we started this four and a half years ago, but I'm okay with that because I feel like I actually understand it better now than I did before because I, we have been digging into it and uh, you know it's 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 kind of like when you really become like really good friends with someone or you marry them. You like you there's the the starry eyed honeymoon period where you're just you're just so gosh darn in love. And then when you live with them for a while, you, you know, realize that they uh, go on. Okay, I'm not going to use any. I'm not, 
I'm not going to use any real world examples, but just, you know, little things. I'm sure everybody who has a spouse knows that there are little things that, you know, if they, if they don't bother you, at least they're things that you notice that, that, that make that person more of a real person. So I feel like Babylon 5 is now a real person in my life in a way that it wasn't before. Can I, can I ask you actually? Can I ask you a question about about watching it again, um, mm-hmm. knowing that I am there watching it for the first time? I mean, and this might be a question for all three of you. Did it affect your um, appreciation or reappreciation of the show, knowing that there was someone, i.e., me, and probably a lot of listeners as well who are watching it for the first time, knowing that they might not hold the show in as high esteem as you do going into it? Stephen, the number of times we said, oh, hell, what's Stephen going to think of this in spoiler space <laughs> would astonish you. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I mean, yep. there's, you know, and especially as we got into it, um, I was watching Babylon 5 at a time when, um, you know, in the 90s, you know, I was, I was not as, I was not thinking as critically in the sense of pulling things apart, trying to understand the hows and the whys of how how my television is made. So like Erica, you know, watching this with a close eye, learning about directorial influence and and what what a director does and the things that they do. I've learned a great deal from this podcast, Um, you know, hearing Stephen's input, hearing the input of others who know what a director does and how things change, uh, can change because of a different director handling it. Uh, things like that have been very educational. Um, so technically, I have a much greater feel and understanding for Babylon 5. I feel even more so that it is, you know, amazing that it got made and not only got made, but got finished. Hmm. Um, but also thematically, uh, I have, you know, continued to, um, you know, study literature after watching Babylon 5, getting a feel for um, writing for theme for characterization and the other the flip side of doing this podcast if i see a few more of um the hard parts of putting this show together um i also have a much greater appreciation for writing for jms's own writing um for the people that he brought on to help him get this started in the first couple of seasons uh, for creating the characters that he did, and for the most part, making them so believable, um, characters that we care about so much, you know, whether your favorite is Ivanova, whether your favorite is Garibaldi, whoever it is that you latch on to because you see something in them. Um, yeah, I, 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 I love this show all the more for knowing um, how hard it was to do and where they tripped up. Yeah. Um for me, almost the entire reason for asking y'all to do the audio guide to Babylon 5 with me was so that I could revisit the fifth season. Because mm-hmm. I knew how yeah. I felt about seasons one, two, three, and four. Um, but here's the season that they didn't think that they were going to get. Here is the season that had so many compromises, even though the first episode is titled No Compromises. Um, <laughs> you know... Um, and that was the moment where I wasn't sure whether I was going to revert to conventional wisdom. Um, at the time it was airing, we had some friends that we used to watch Babylon 5 with who had pretty much given, it up, given up on it and um, 
uh, were fairly vitriolic in how it wasn't a good show anymore. And I always resisted that. I was like, it, they're not quite where they were. I'm not super thrilled with the telepath colony here, but, you know, it's still Babylon 5. It still feels like the same show for me. Uh, I I can I can deal with it not being quite as good as season four had been, um, but this was the point when I was going to be like, okay, I'm actually going to be paying attention now, really really hard. Some of these episodes I haven't seen for twenty years. How am I going to feel about it now? And I'm and Stephen lurking in the background in the back of my subconscious <laughs> right. was a constant voice there, and. I was kind of, and I was kind of surprised that how good I felt about it in the end. Um, about I, I knew that I loved Babylon Five, and I was confident that I was not going to stop loving Babylon Five. But I even loved most of season five. I even I, I appreciated what was being built and what they were trying to accomplish. Yeah, I mean, it's it, we we are rewatching a show that happened twenty five years ago. You know, it's it's not like we're trying to pump up a current show or get people to watch this new thing that's going on right now. We're talking about something that's over and done. You know, there is no point in us being overly praising. There's no point in us being overly critical. It's just us telling what we see. And like you, season five has a lot of good stuff in it that I had forgotten because I let conventional wisdom tell me you know if i want to rewatch some stuff i'll rewatch season three you know so so yeah this has been a good experience mm -hmm. yeah i had seen season five less times because i didn't actually watch it the first time around as it aired uh just because life got in the way and then when i went back for a rewatch i I sort of paused in between, not because I had heard that it was bad, even though I had. Uh, it was more because I hate endings, as Stephen yeah. will tell you. I am terrible at finishing things, so it took me a very long time to finally get to the get to the end of it. So it's I wanted to rewatch and take note of season five, just because I don't feel like even after my couple of rewatches that I really have had a handle on it, and uh, and now I I really feel like I do. Because we were because we dove into it so deeply and talked about it and talked about it in context of the other seasons. So this has been a, a very valuable experience from from that angle, for sure. Yeah. You know, I don't like endings either, Erica. Uh, and I mm -hmm. think one of the things that I'm coming with out of this is a bit of a frustration that the efforts to continue the story didn't entirely come didn't entirely come off there are novels that are relatively mm -hmm. self-contained uh that continue some of the stories uh you know the the centauri prime trilogy of books the uh telepath books uh the techno beige books things like that but there was more story to be told um i will we will we will talk in a, primarily in spoiler space about the spin-off series that's uh, something that if WB ever let let their grubby hands off of it, I would love to see Big Finish Tackle or something like that. Mm -hmm. But thankfully, Babylon 5, the story itself, ended um, pretty much under the terms set by its creator. And that's, that is, I think, really, really astonishing, especially in the 1990s. Stephen... I have some. I have no doubt that you have some questions 
about the warp and woof of Babylon 5 that you've been sort of building up over the years. Now's your time, sir. Um, and if you can try to triage them a little bit, we'll save the spoilery ones that talk about Crusade and other stuff after your trip through the jump gate for your first and only time. But any other questions about Babylon 5 that you've just been dying to ask? Well, uh, as Eric can, can attest, uh, I spent the next couple hours after we were done watching <laughs> Sleeping in Light, uh, l- like still on the coffee table, all five DVD box sets are out there. Uh, some of them just opened up, out. just played out. I watched mm-hmm. with the DVD commentary, I watched uh, Signs Importance, the episode that annoyed me so much um, because it was just a big, you know, it's like coming uh, back from the future four years in advance. Like, oh, I know something you don't know, uh, just to see what I I'd, had missed. Um, what I'd like to know is because you know i as as you all know i i am much i'm very focused on on how things were made and that's how i appreciate uh television usually and uh in the doctor who world there are there are you know the entire amazon forest is gone because of the paper used to print uh intellectual analysis about various doctor who things and in my very early search so far for similar analysis and like sort of a an unauthorized history of babylon 5 i can't find very much and the only real definitive history is sort of the stuff that's penned by jms himself at the time that's available on the lurker's guide to babylon 5 so i'm wondering is there a what are the definitive sources of information about how this series was made and where can i find them JMS and word of mouth. I am sorry to tell you, Stephen. <laughs> really? Um, no, there is one other source, but you're going to have to do some digging. Okay. Um, the magazine Cinefantastique got deep into Babylon 5. Uh, and those, the, those magazines that came out, um, there were annual updates uh, on, on uh, uh, I think, annual updates. I, I may actually be misremembering. I may be conflating the way that they covered the Star Trek franchise, but Cinefantastique did a good job of covering B5 at, at at least several points along the way, and those would be good. Uh, but nobody took care of the J, uh, the Babylon 5 legacy the way that JMS did, honestly, mm-hmm. and it was... It, it remained a fringe show, so... And it was, and it was very much, you know, alter television. So the one piece, the one piece that I really wish that I owned, but we didn't have the financial wherewithal to get it at the time, was that JMS put out a whole bunch of script books, um, starting I want to say about ten years ago or so, um, with all kinds of annotations, all kinds of backstory, including, um, including the. Um, the original, original, original outline of the five-year plan for Babylon 5, which ended very differently because Sinclair was in it all the way through. Mm -hmm. But JMS is your source for that stuff. Sorry to say, you're going to, you're going to have to do some, you're going to have to do some research on the, on the internets. Or ask him on Twitter. He's, he's on Twitter. (laughs) And he's been very vocal lately. (laughs) 
<laughs> I, I would love to because it's it's shown up on Amazon Prime in the U.S. I I would love now that I've seen the whole thing, and that I have done next to no research as of right now because I wanted to stay away from all spoilers. I would love uh, being a very first time viewer uh, for the first time in 2018 to interview JMS and just ask him all the questions <laughs> I wanted him to do for this very podcast. So JMS, if you are listening, the offer is out there. <laughs> I would love to do that and just to get it all in one place on record uh, because that's the great thing about Babylon 5 and about TV in general. Sometimes you are rediscovering something for the first time 25 years after it originally aired and you want to know all the questions that everyone who was watching the show at the time seemed to be very well aware of on the forums and everything like that but i'm i am oblivious to that now what else steven what else um why did claudia christian leave again is there was there a definitive i can't remember if you were dancing around that at the end of season four or not to protect uh any potential spoilers or, or the what. innocent no. yeah <laughs> claudia wanted more and claudia wanted less uh, she she wanted more money. She wanted uh, to have uh, a little more freedom to miss a couple of episodes to work on other projects. And had the had the production team gone with that, they would have to they the other actors would have been able to invoke the favored nations clauses in their contracts, and everybody would have gotten the same perks and benefits. And uh, she she asked she asked for more than they were willing to give her because they didn't want they didn't feel like they could do it for everyone else and then she left there was controversy at the time a bit of he said she said on whether she quit or was fired um, and uh, a, a few years later everybody sort of um, agreed that she had left and there were other personal things going on in her life. I actually have read her biography, and uh, she hit a rough patch after Babylon Five. Um, but uh, but yeah, um, she she left in a she left similar to the way that um, Andrea Thompson as Talia Winters left at the end of season two, um, not feeling fulfilled and or wanting more and having to be written out of the series as a consequence. Interesting. I, I, I bookmarked about three or four weeks ago, there was an article on sci-fi that um, was, uh, I think, an oral history of Babylon 5. It had um, JMS, it had Peter Jurisic, mm -hmm. uh, oh, kept so, a couple other people, and then Bill uh, Mooney. Bill who Mooney. Was talk Boo Mooney. And uh, I don't know if you read that, but I, I, oh, I yeah. saved it. And I, I waited <laughs> for, you probably talked about this in spoiler space. Um, I just found it fascinating <laughs> that, you know, he was told that it was going to be an hour of makeup tops uh, for Lanier. And he said, sure, okay, I'll do your show. Uh, and then, you know, day one of the, on the set and he's in the makeup chair for four, four hours and 10 minutes. This is okay. We got to oh, renegotiate God. this contract. I'm not going to be in every episode if I have to put up with this. And so in a way, he kind of got that favored nation's um, uh, status out of the gate. Um, and, th and then I found his comments about how Lanier's arc ended, which I was not happy with at all. And I'm glad to see that he wasn't happy with it either. And he thought that that was kind of a, you know, a slap in the face to him, like on purpose, like to sort of, oh, you know, a, 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 as if they didn't like him or something. I don't know how you, how you all read that, but I thought, I I thought that was intriguing. I read that interview and um, I... 
I couldn't make heads or tails of who of whether I agreed with him or not. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it seems like a two sides to the story kind of thing. The one part of that interview of, that we did talk about um, in, in the podcast was that uh, uh, Bill Moomy, the actor, knew that uh, Sheridan and a ranger were trapped in the room with the coolant. But mm-hmm. as shot, Lanier only saw Sheridan. So Bill Mooney's argument against that character, uh, that action in the in Objects at Rest was that he would never have let two innocents die. But as shot, you know, it was arguable that Lanier didn't didn't even notice that there was a second person in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even if Bill Mooney, Mooney, the actor, was able to see that there was a second person in there, the idea that Lanier, A, should have been able to because there was supposed to be a lot of smoke in that room, and that B, that he would have even noticed anything besides Sheridan because he was staring at him so much. Yeah, so I, I felt like I can completely understand Bill Mooney, you know, who has created this character over the years and probably felt a lot of affection for for Lanier like yeah probably not fun to kind of have have to do that sort of turn at the end um, because I'm sure all of the little bits and pieces that we had sort of been pointing out uh, where he was sort of going off the rails and 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 being uncomfortable to watch uh, maybe maybe from his perspective he was really he was really feeling Lanier from Lanier's perspective uh, so it didn't quite see the turn as it was coming and and I can I can understand not wanting to to have a character that you love end that way but I I, I can't back him up in the idea that he would that, that character would have known that there were two people in there yeah. because I do think that that Bill Mooney's right if there were two if, if, if Lanier knew that there was going to be another innocent person in there also dying that he wouldn't have hesitated yeah and I think uh, a little of it is um because you know it wound up coming up at the end almost at the end of the series i i I don't think an actor would mind quite so much if their character's expected to do this really bad thing if they're allowed redemption you know this character starts in a good place and you know sort of drifts i think is a, a fair way to put it as far as um the the falling love gradually um, developing into the, a bit of an obsession and so forth. And then it's, you know, a sudden drop for him to suddenly, and we talked about it at the time. I mean, you know, these impulses happen. People have these things that that happen to them that they they snap and make a one horrible decision. Um, but because of the way it, and it's shot and timed, he doesn't get, Lanier doesn't get to recover from that. So we have this impression that, you know, maybe he redeemed himself and by according to Sleeping in Light, he died. But we don't know what happened. And, you know, as an actor who has crafted this character, I can see that that would that would bother Mumi. I don't think JMS was deliberately trying to hurt the character, um, but I think he was, you know, trying to do the best he could juggling this. um, Hey, no season five. Hey, yes, season five that he was stuck with. So, I feel like we are running out of time, and we need to go to spoiler space and talk about the things that happen after Babylon 5 that a few of our listeners don't want to uh, know about. Um, Does anybody have any final thoughts about B5, the series, um, the five years, the 22 times five episodes plus a few movies? before we go off one last time into spoiler space. I I really just want to say thank you to Steven 
for for sticking it out <laughs> and doing this. Yes. I mean, at the be- at the beginning, I think I made it clear like if you're not enjoying this, you don't have to continue watching this this show with me. Like I I can watch these episodes on my own and do the podcast, but I think having you as the the control group in the experiment and having somebody to tell us or to tell me that I could pass along and then to come on every couple times every season to to talk about you the way that you have have viewed it has really added a, an important element an important flavor to the podcast that we would not have had otherwise and and also I mean we started this just after I moved to Edmonton from the United States. So I feel like this uh, this podcast has been something that has been a part of our marriage, um, not since the beginning of the marriage, but since the beginning of our, our living together, because immigration takes a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's kind of weird that we won't have this anymore. Um, but but I, I really appreciate it because it feels like something that's just sort of baked into our life. And I thank you for allowing me to bake it in in this way. Thanks for liking a show that was worth watching over the course of the past four and a half years. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Well, we will uh, say our proper goodbyes to the podcast from Spoiler Space, where we think most of you will be following us. Uh, But for... Yeah, don't wait for us to watch Crusade. We're not doing Spoiler Space for those episodes. (laughs) Yeah, that's that. So let's, let's, let's break that down for a little bit. This is the official ending. This is the sleeping in light to the audio guide to Babylon 5. <laughs> but Babylon 5 did continue. There, As we said, there were novels. There was the spinoff series Crusade that lasted for 13 episodes before its untimely end on the TNT network. And we'll talk some about the circumstances of that uh, uh, beyond the jump gate. Um But we're going to treat those as appendices. We're going to take a nice long rest. Uh, So this is it. So uh, if you are saving yourself for reading the books and watching Crusade and such before going through spoiler space, um, we thank you very much for listening. And in the meantime, Stephen, you're about to see one of the greatest secrets in the universe. Oh, my God. He's been so excited about this, you guys. For the last time in the audio guide to Babylon 5, please join us on the bridge of our white star as we jump into spoiler space. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Mr. Data. Well, hi. <laughs> Steven? So what do you think of our spoiler space? <laughs> I thought there'd be more chairs, to be honest, but it's... Uh... <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's just a standard white star layout. I mean, if you want, I can, I can stand up and you can have my chair. <laughs> or, or at least we can lean if we get tired at some point. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, Steven... My understanding is, and it's certainly been my advice, and I think Erica's advice as well. Mm-hmm. Yes, there is more Babylon 5 material in the sense that there is the spinoff series Crusade and some other stuff. But we really don't think it is worth the effort that you have made for the last five years to try to keep yourself spoiler free of that stuff. Well, so, because uh, I, I, I looked at the DVD set for the movie collection, and there's there's one, I think, one more movie on it, A Call yes, to Arms, there is. right? Yes, there is. 
But mm. isn't there? There's another thing in there apparently that's like something to do with Rangers, or is that the same one? Oh my goodness! Uh, rub, rubbing my hands together with glee. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, here's the here here's what here's what you need to know about the state of Babylon Five. We're doing a yes, excellent. What's that? Oh, yes. It goes on. It never stops. I love this. Okay, so JMS wanted to keep the band together, so he put together the outline for the spinoff series called various at various points the Babylon Project Crusade, and then finally Crusade. Um, mm-hmm. It is a story that takes place five years after Babylon, after Objects at Rest. It takes place in the Babylon 5 universe, of course, has a new cast, um, and it is, uh, it is launched with the pilot, with, with, with a soft pilot, I guess you'd call it, the Babylon 5 TV movie, A Call to Arms, uh, where it introduces two of the cast for Crusade and sets up the is, sets up the crisis, which is the Drock attack Earth. Their attack fails, but in the process of their attack, uh, uh, as as they leave, they seed the Earth with a virus that will kill all life on Earth within five years. Whoa! And it mm-hmm. is up to the Earth Force, an, an Earth Force ship uh, that is. Uh, made of combined Earth and Minbari technology, called the Excalibur, and its col- and its uh, captain, uh, Captain Gideon, played by Gary Cole of all people. Uh, <laughs> what? Whoa! Yep. 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 Okay, we're halfway down this elevator, and this pitch is already selling me. All right. <laughs> <laughs> it's up. Th- it's up to them to go across the universe and to find. Um, and to find a cure for the Drock Plague. The story was intended to become much more complicated along the way, and the story was intended to be not so much, not completely about the Drock Plague, that, that that would actually be solved, but in the process, a bigger problem would be revealed. Um, there would have been, there were guest appearances by Babylon 5 characters. Uh, Captain Lockley was in the opening credits, but only wound up being in two of the episodes that were made. Uh, Rick Biggs showed up. Um, Mr. Wells, if you'll remember, the guy, for, the guy from Nightwatch, proving that he's a survivor, shows up in an episode. <laughs> I thought you know Morrison? I don't know what. Yeah, I don't... yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the guy, um, and, and the problem was that TNT had some leadership changes uh, between greenlighting Babylon 5, the people who greenlit it loved Babylon 5, and then they were gone. And the people who remained hated Babylon 5. And TNT had more of a blue-collar audience in general, and they found out that the people who watched Babylon 5 didn't watch the rest of TNT, and vice versa. Right. Uh, so mm-hmm. the uh, so the Crusade spinoff, the story that eventually emerged was that the folks at TNT really didn't like what they were getting and kept making more and more egregious uh, notes and requests of JMS and the production staff until finally JMS said, no, I can't do this, which is this, this would be horrible for the show and which was exactly what the TNT people wanted. And, and, 
Crusade aired as a, quote, 13-episode limited series with no real resolution, and that was about the end of it. Sci-Fi Channel made a halting effort to pick it up, and then, um, but they couldn't, they couldn't make the money work, and TNT wasn't willing to give up the Babylon 5 reruns, which would have helped sell it to Sci-Fi Channel, so that was the end of that. That was JMS's first attempt to uh, do stuff with Babylon 5. He also had a uh, an outline being shopped around for a feature film called Wars of the Mind, which would have been about the telepath war. That mm-hmm. didn't get very far. Um, there was a pilot for Sci-Fi Channel a few years later called The Legend of the Rangers, To Live and Die in Starlight. That's that would have been thinking. a... Yeah. That would have been a completely new series taking place in between Babylon 5 and Crusade so that if the show had been greenlighted and gone for a couple of years, some of the plot elements from Crusade could have shown up in continuity. Uh, It only got one episode. Jakar was the only uh, returning Babylon 5 character in that one. He talked about Lita being no longer with him. Uh, So that that about wraps it up for Lita. That was it. JMS... uh, had another attempt at jms still has the film rights to babylon 5 but they're kind of useless without everything else uh he came close to getting another babylon 5 movie uh script out there called the memory of shadows it would have had a couple of new characters plus a couple of returning characters from uh crusade it would have been in universe that didn't happen and that's pretty much the end of babylon 5 and because warner brothers owns Lock, stock, and barrel everything but the film rights, and Warner Brothers has no interest in Babylon 5, there will be no big finishes. There will be no new novels. The story is ending with a bit of a whimper rather than a bang, unless you are purposeful in thinking about the story being Babylon 5 and everything else being just gravy or an appendix. How's that for a monologue? That's that's quite something. So I, it's um, when I worked at a TV station, uh, I never actually got the TV station that I worked at, so I never actually watched anything on it. But one of the programs that we <laughs> ordered early on when I started there in 2007 or 2008, I think is when the show came in, was uh, Babylon 5. Was it The Lost Tales, I think it was? Oh, that. that. I forgot oh, yeah, that. that, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Shannon, uh, tell them why I forgot that. <laughs> Because you forgot it? Because we've never actually watched it. We still got what? it in the oh, cellophane. Didn't? It's on our desk. It's on our shelves. We have Babylon <laughs> wow. 5 that when we finally get to it, we will, uh, at least three of us, will be watching it for the first time together. Yeah. <laughs> Lucky you. Oh, dear. Eric has seen it. I've seen it. Yep. Talk about ending with a whimper. That's a thing. And that- if, I, if I remember correctly, which maybe I don't. That was a uh, direct-to-video effort, literally. Yeah, yeah, I think it was. But we, but it was, it was sold to TV stations as well, obviously, because we had it. Um, I think it was sold by Sony Pictures, oddly enough. I think that's where we got it from. But um, sold to Canada, sold to Canada. I don't think it aired a single. I don't think a f- sec- single frame of it aired on American television. Oh, really? I thought it. Hmm. Maybe I haven't seen it then. Not sure. It is a it is a two parter. It would have been a three parter, but I think they had money problems. It was it's basically three mini stories uh, stitched together: uh, yep. a Sheridan story, a Lockley story. There would have been a Garibaldi story. 
Wow. And mm. it, Mike, Mike Vahar directed one of these movies. I don't know. I can't remember which one. I, look, I was looking at a list of things. He um, directed Legend of the Rangers, uh, Liv- okay. To Live and Dar- Die in Starlight. That's uh, that's obviously one that I have to see now because, you know, I, I never wanted I never checked as season five was going. I knew he was directing at least one episode in season five, but I think he only directed one episode in season five. And as the episodes were coming along and the series is coming to a close, I thought, oh, we're not going to get Vehar again, are we? And we didn't. So I feel like that's the proper swan song to Babylon 5 is The Legend Aww. of the Rangers because Mike Vehar directed it. <laughs> <laughs> For me, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, we, uh, we, we recommend that you, we recommend that you consider the Babylon project completed now, Stephen, and Mm -hmm. just knock yourself out, spoil yourself for all the stuff. We, you know, we talk about crusade here in spoiler space. We talk about the novels and things like that. Knock yourself out with the back catalog. Let yourself go. Well, you know what? I totally will because I'm. I, I what I want to do is I, I won't necessarily watch each episode intently, like shut everything off and let's watch uh, the episodes of Babylon Five again. But what I, you know, we live in a household of two TVs. Uh, I edit podcasts for a living. Sometimes I'll just have something on the TV that's sort of in the background. And what I'm he means two TVs need, in the same in the room. same room. Um, I I what I want to do. I might give it a little bit of space. Um, but what I want to do is just sort of like watch each of the episodes again have them on in the background watch the vam of the, the value added material of each dvd if there's commentaries i want to have that on you know because now i get to re-experience the same show again for the first time knowing how you know like like you all did now you know what's mm-hmm. coming and you kind of can anticipate what's what's coming down the pipe and what things you're looking forward to and everything and now i can sort of have an entirely new experience watching this show and experiencing the fandom a little bit and 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 the enthusiasm and perhaps i'll dive back into back episodes of this here podcast and and hear you <laughs> laughing at me uh in spoiler space for the last four years <laughs> There were a few bless your heart moments. I am going to be in so much trouble over the next (laughs) little while, you guys. Super busted. Well, while we're in spoiler space. But in a position of love. Yeah. Well, while we're (laughs) in spoiler space, I think a good way to wrap things up is to... um, Just is to ask uh, Erica and Shannon, you know, if you have any lingering thoughts about... um, about Crusade, the rest of the Babylon 5 universe, you know, stuff that you would have liked to have seen, stuff that uh, didn't get executed, you know, what you thought of Crusade at the time, if you remember anything about it. Uh, Some final thoughts about Babylon 5. I admit, I'm looking forward to going over Crusade. Um, I remember at the time that it was happening, being kind of excited about it. Uh, the cast of characters that JMS brought in, while there were similarities, you had your telepath, you had your medical person, you had your captain, things like that. It felt but like a dungeon a, crawling squad. It felt like D and D characters. It was great, yeah, and and mm-hmm. yeah, and and watching them figure out how to work together was at the time kind of exciting. And I remember being really kind of disappointed um, when uh, when Crusade uh, wound up not happening because uh, the character set looked to me like it was going to be um, kind of the same kind of coming together that we got uh, with Babylon 5. It just took longer with Babylon 5 because the the big crisis um, takes a couple, a season and a half to build until you know it's a crisis and everybody's got to pull together. Um, With Crusade, the crisis is already there. 
and you, then you've got to throw the people together and say, look, guys, you've got to deal with this. Um, so I'm I am looking forward very much to Crusade um, in the fullness of time. And right. yes. Um, and yes, I, I still love Babylon 5. It is still one of my favorite TV shows ever. And I really feel like I understand um, a lot more uh, about it having gone through this podcast. Yeah, I don't even remember if I did watch Crusade when it first came out. I don't think I did. I'm pretty sure the first time I watched it was after my last big rewatch of of Babylon 5, which was 2008, 9 or 10, somewhere somewhere in there. And honestly, as as you know, if you've been listening to Spoiler Space, not a lot of it stuck because I haven't remembered much of anything. So so yeah, I, I too, you know, whenever we get around to it, I, I'm looking forward to, to revisiting it um, because I, I remember having mixed feelings about captain gideon and i would like to watch it again um because in somewhere in the meantime i watched um i can't remember the name of the series it was a sam raimi series american gothic maybe was that american anyway it was he he played a a sheriff who may or may not have been the devil and he was great um so i feel like i feel like now that i have more space between that and this i i want to watch it again and i also remember really liking daniel day kim so i want to see mm-hmm. if i still feel that way yeah he he made a name for himself right yep <laughs> so so yeah i it, it did not leave much of a mark none of this none of the stuff that came after uh did because i just i just simply don't remember it so it'll be interesting to go into the appendices and sort of mm-hmm. find out but as far as i'm concerned babylon 5 is is what we have already like what we've already done yeah like we this is this is yeah. it yeah you know the one thing that i am looking forward to when we get around to watching crusade is because they never put the money into it to do the 16 by 9 film transfers it's all in 4 by 3 from uh. the composite and it, and there is no there there is no breakdown of the CGI the CGI is going to look wonderful in comparison nice nice so um steven the drock in the urn um that was left for david that's actually resolved in some of the novels there's a trilogy I- of novels that called the uh, about the about the fall of centauri prime thank you that's one thing that i thought was going to happen uh but but never did um i thought they were going to resolve that i assumed that was going to be something going on in there um, there's also a trilogy of novels about the psychor and in the third book of the trilogy garibaldi catches up with bester <gasps> I won't read the books because I don't read books. What happens? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, we've talked about it in the spoiler space before. Steven, you're going to love this. Uh, Garib- uh, Bester dies. The last scene in the book is Garibaldi visiting Bester's grave and driving a stake into it. Whoa. <laughs> heavy. Heavy. <laughs> <laughs> makes the point um yeah it's a it's a it's a trilogy the first two books of the trilogy are like the early history of the psychor then they sort of omit the whole telepath war thing because you know jms had had a half a plan um and then they go and then they catch up with they catch up with the uh, bester and garibaldi after the events of crusade which are carefully edited around so you don't actually know what happened there so anyway yeah i am I am so looking forward to beginning my 
exploration of the internet to find out all about the uh, the Babylon 5 universe. So in a way I feel like this this journey on this podcast has merely been a a prologue <laughs> to the actual journey of Babylon 5. So so thank you well, thank you all for that. We are deeply uh, we are deeply aware of your um tendencies uh with regard to the Doctor Who universe in terms of memorizing production codes and interviewing <laughs> creators and deeping I have no illusions that you'll get as deeply into Babylon 5 as you got into Doctor Who but I have the feel your voyage of discovery is going to be a delight yep I look forward to it it's going to be just me and Lita sailing off into the universe doing who knows what uh, exploring <laughs> the galaxy uh, yeah. and what should have been the actual spinoff of Babylon 5 <laughs> oh. I watched it. <laughs> yep. Road to Drazi. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we've been putting this off, I think. I've been putting this off, mm-hmm. but I think the yeah. time has come. The audio guide to Babylon 5 will return in a few months, maybe. We don't know exactly when. We will talk about Crusade. We will talk about the other remaining TV movies and other stuff. We'll be real cash about it. It'll be an appendix because our work here is done. We have come to the end of the audio guide to Babylon 5 proper. We have come to the end of Babylon 5, the series. Um, We talked about doing this for a few months before we finally pulled the trigger and started a more or less regular cadence of a new episode of B5AG every two weeks. It's been an opportunity for me for the first time to have an ongoing podcasting relationship with my spouse. Um, (laughs) this This has been an appointment that we couldn't get away from even when we were fighting. Um, and, (laughs) And it's been a... An absolute pleasure working regularly with one of the stars of the SpecFic podcasting firmament, Erica Ensign, one half of the Castria Brain Trust, along with Stephen. Um, it has meant the world to me to do this project with you and to take it all the way to a successful conclusion. So, Shannon, Erica, thank you both so very much. I raise my glass to the, the both of you. Same. And with that, thank you, listeners, for joining us for the Audio Guide to Babylon 5's final regular episode. We will come this way again, as Delenn said at the end of Objects at, Well, not at the end, uh, about a third of the way through Objects at Rest, which was kind of odd. <laughs> but we will come this way again, talking about the rest of the stuff. Uh, we wouldn't have done it without you listening. We appreciated every comment. We appreciated every tweet. Thank you so much for joining us. This is Chip in Durham. Erica in Edmonton. And Shannon in Durham. And you have been listening to 112 episodes of The Audio Guide to Babylon 5. Be seeing you. Yay! <laughs> Hooray! <laughs>